0: So today we conclude our time in, in the Gospel of Luke for this year. It's been a sweet journey, but we're going to bring it to a close and pick it back up next year. And that means that next Sunday, yes, next Sunday, we will kick off Advent in a sermon series that we will subtitle The Mothers of Jesus. If you look at this, you're going to see these four circles along the side. There are five women that are mentioned in the genealogies of Jesus, and this is significant, so we want to draw out their stories and ask the question, why would they be included in the genealogies of Jesus? Those four circles represent first Tamar, then second Ruth, third Bathsheba, and fourth Mary. Um, Let's see. No, that's not right. Rahab is the first one and then Ruth, and then Bathsheba, and then Mary. We're leaving Tamar out because, if you remember, we covered her this summer in our Genesis series. And dare I say, that was one of the best sermons I've heard. You should go back and listen to it, okay? All right. Well, this morning I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 37. You can find that on page 876 if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs, Young Disciples, that's the sermon passage that you'll want to write down on your guide. So today we're going to hear Jesus teaching us about the end of the world. And I'm going to make two applications from this text. First, be aware, the King has come. And second, be prepared, the King is coming again. And so with that said, please stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. If you're not able to stand, please stand with us in your hearts. Again, today's passage is Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 37. Church, hear the word of the Lord. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out and follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven. And destroyed them all. So it will be on the day. When the son of man is revealed. On that day. Let the one who is on the housetop. With his goods in the house. Not come down to take them away. And likewise. Let the one who is in the field. Not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life. Will lose it. But whoever loses his life. Will keep it. I tell you. In that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Church, the Lord has spoken to us. Let's say this together. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Anybody remember Scar from the movie The Lion King? <laughs> yes! Love that. Scar is the evil brother of the true king, Mufasa. So he's uncle to the crown prince, Simba. And if you've seen this movie, then you know how it opens up with all the animals in the kingdom celebrating the birth of Simba, the true heir to the throne. You're like, This is the part where it's like, you know that part that's the part so scar though has these evil plans to take the kingdom for himself and at one point he sings this creepy song y'all remember the song he sings be prepared and he sings it to uh, the hyena army that he has so some of the lyrics go like this i might not sing them but i'll try to get the cadence of it for you and bring back the memories it's clear from your vacant expressions. The lights are not all on upstairs. But we're talking kings and successions. And even you can't be caught unawares. So prepare for a chance of a lifetime. Be prepared for sensational news. A shining new era is tiptoeing nearer. And where do we feature? Just listen to teacher. I know it sounds sordid, but you'll be rewarded when at last I am given my dues and injustice deliciously squared. Be prepared. You remember? You with me? So in opposition to the true king, Scar is not only pretending he's the one to inaugurate a new kingdom, he's leading others to live in denial of the truth as well. And so no wonder there's this green flatulent gas that's swirling around him in this scene. His sensational news. It stinks. And in the movie, that's as clear as day, isn't it? Everybody knows that Scar is the bad guy. Now, if only it was that clear in real life. You see, since the day humanity tumbled into rebellion against God, our default mindset is not toward the true king and his kingdom, but toward the ones of our own making. In fact, we don't even know there's one true king and kingdom until somebody tells us. And even then, most people still deny it. So take the example from like two weeks ago. The passage right before this Jesus heals how many lepers? Anybody remember? Ten. That's right, ten lepers. Now, how many of them return praising God and fall at Jesus' feet thanking him? Not 10, one, one, only one. And he was considered the worst of them all, a Samaritan. And so something is happening that the world has never seen. And even among those to whom it happened, they carry on with the customs of a dead Old Testament kingdom. And so this morning... I want to tell you something. And I want to plead with you not to deny it. First, be aware. Young disciples, that's a word that you want to include in your guide. Be aware the king has come. And I see this rising from the scriptures beginning in verse 20. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Let's pause there. Think about the irony of this, especially in the flow of this chapter. The Pharisees are seeing the kingdom of God come. The God King is literally doing things like healing 10 lepers with a word and then not rejecting people who come and fall down and worship him. And yet the Pharisees ask Jesus, so when will the kingdom of God come? Do this like, how can you be so blind (laughs) well here's how if you're looking for the wrong thing if you're looking for the wrong thing now have any of you all ever seen these posters that are kind of like making fun of the national parks i know if y'all like national parks like me you are a little bit offended but these posters (laughs) uh, you know they're just bringing out something a little bit funny and unique about each park and so Here's what uh, the poster for the Great Smoky Mountains says. Nothing specific to do. Okay. So, of course, like if you're going to the Smokies to find something to do that will entertain you, you're going to look at it all and be like, meh. Like that's what Gatlinburg is for, Right. But if you're going to the Smokies in order to take in the beauty of God's creation, the mountains and the fog and the bears and the creeks, the mountain air, then you'll look at it all and be like, this is a little taste of heaven right here. Now, if the Pharisees were looking for the beauty of God and the redemption of humanity and the making of all things new, then they would have observed Jesus and been like, this is a little taste of heaven right here. But instead, they saw it all. And they were like, eh. They were looking for the wrong thing. What were they looking for? For their definition of the kingdom of God. You see, they were expecting these glorious signs in the heavens to entertain them as God crushed their political enemies and raised Israel to rule forever. I think it makes sense for Christians to care about what's going on politically in our country, but to take that to the extreme of saying we want it to be a theocracy. It's just crazy. And the Pharisees were doing that. And before we dump on them too much, however... We've got to remember that the disciples actually weren't that different from the Pharisees. Look at this. Even after Jesus had died on the cross and risen from the grave and was about to send to heaven, Luke tells us this in Acts chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to who? Israel. It's like, how could you be so blind after all that you've seen and experienced? But this is what we do, y'all. Our default mindset is not toward the true king and his kingdom, but toward the ones of our own making. Even after we follow Jesus, we still do this. And so stand in awe with me. Stand in awe of Jesus as like, he doesn't smite the Pharisees, does he? And he doesn't slap the disciples, does he? Instead, we read these gracious words in the rest of verse 20. He answered them. Those are throwaway words in the Bible, right? But they are sacred words. If you see how gracious Jesus is. He answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look who it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now it may not seem like much, but what Jesus says here tells you the first of the two most important things to know about the kingdom of God. And when I say the kingdom of God, let me define it simply as the good life. Life with God, under the rule of God, as it was meant to be from the very beginning. That's the kingdom of God. And so what is this most important thing? Let's draw it out together. Jesus starts here by debunking the Pharisees' expectation for glorious signs in the heaven. It's not, listen, it's not coming like Elijah calling down fire on the prophets of Baal. It's not coming like an angel of the Lord sent to wipe out the whole Roman army in a single night. It's not coming like Ezekiel's apocalyptic wheels filling up the sky and leaving everyone terrified. You can't observe the kingdom in that way. Human eyes can't recognize it of their own accord. But not for lack of skill. Like, we're actually pretty good at recognizing earthly power, aren't we? Instead... It must be revealed to us because it's not coming in the form of the power to which we're accustomed, the kind that crushes political enemies and raises a kingdom to rule them. So if it's not that, then what is it? Behold, Jesus says. In other words, look, see, open your eyes, the kingdom of God. Is in the midst of you. In other words, what you're looking for is right here. Now, what does that mean? Well, there are some debated options that I won't go into, but I think the best of them and the true meaning is to take what Jesus is saying here literally. Guys, what you're looking for is right here. Me here in the person of Jesus Christ isn't just a taste of heaven. Here is Hebrews 1, 3, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature in a person right in your midst. And this is the first of the two most important things to know about the kingdom of God. The inauguration of the kingdom of God is the first coming of Jesus Christ. Now, do you know what I mean by inauguration? So, who gets inaugurated in our culture that we all pay attention to? The president, okay? So when does that inauguration happen? At the end of his his four years? When? No, no, at the beginning. So the beginning of the coming of the kingdom of God is the arrival of the Son of God. Jesus Christ. And so that means the beginning of the good life is what? It's when you give your crown to King Jesus. When you say, my life is no longer my own, I want that salvation. That sounds real good. Heaven sounds awesome. But also you can have this life too. Here's my crown. What you say goes. Your command's not mine. Okay? That's the beginning of the good life. And listen, I want to say to you, don't be looking around for the wrong thing. Like if your heart posture toward Jesus today is like, meh, then what, let me ask you this question. Then what king and kingdom are you after instead? Like I'm not threatening you, but I'm asking you an introspective question. Look internally. If your heart posture today is, toward Jesus is like whatever man eh. then what are you after what has taken his place be aware the king has come and secondly i urge you this morning be prepared young disciples there's your second word that you'll need for your guides be prepared the king Is coming again. Luke continues to record Jesus' teaching about the kingdom in verse 22. We read, And he said to the disciples. Pause there because I just want to note it's interesting that as Jesus pivots to talk about the future of the kingdom of God, notice that he like turns away from the Pharisees and he speaks to his disciples. And I suppose here that the details of the good life are only relevant. To those who give their crown to King Jesus. But what we expect to hear about the good life, it might surprise us a little bit. So let me give you an example. When I talk with people who are preparing to go be missionaries, I describe what they're about to experience as. Anybody know what that is? Meat grinder. Right, you put the chunks of meat in the top, you twist it, and out grinds ground beef or whatever. All right, it's making you hungry if you like beef. Uh, so here's the thing: when you're going as a missionary, you have all these ideals about what is going to be, and that's part of what motivates you. You want to go proclaim the gospel among the nations and see people believe in Jesus and see churches planted and the world change and Jesus glory and Him come. All that you see, all that's great. In between your desire to do that and you actually coming back home having done that faithfully. It's going to be a meat grinder. By design, 2 Corinthians 4, as you die, give yourself for the sake of the nations. Probably not through persecution and martyrdom, but through death by a thousand paper cuts. Every day laying down your life, laying down your culture, laying down your identity for the sake of the nations. It's going to grind you up. It's meant to. And that is how Jesus prepares you then to be useful in his hand by design don't be surprised and so in between the beginning of the kingdom coming and the ending of it coming fully is an interval that we often call the already not yet you heard that term the already not yet. It's one of those contradictions that we accept as christians jesus is already king and you're already seated with him in heavenly places Your destiny is eternally bound up with his. And God's promises are as good as done. But they're not fully yet realized. Already, not yet. And in this interval, don't be surprised. It's going to be a meat grinder. It is going to chew you up, bring you more and more to death, to self so that Christ can come more alive to you. How so? What exactly does that mean and what does it look like? Well, here's how Jesus describes it in verse 22. The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. Now, one of the days of the Son of Man kind of seems like this reference for the time when God will judge all the earth through a glorious chosen one. And it's described in the book of Daniel very clearly. Therefore, this isn't referring to the first coming of Jesus. Remember, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't arrive smiting or slapping. This is the second coming of Jesus, in which he will return from heaven, not as a suffering servant, but as a conquering king. And so, what Jesus is saying is if you follow me into the already not yet, you are going to find yourself longing for the day of my return. Why? Well, first, because you love the king. You will see him face to face. I finally got around to watching The Chosen. I know. I'm more spiritual. Now. No, I love them. I was crying every time I watch an episode. I believe. I'm sorry I wasn't a believer until I watched them. So I watched it. You know there's an episode. I know it's extra biblical. Be careful. But they have this scene where John is like writing his gospel and he's interviewing all the disciples to capture stories. And they're like tearing up. And one of them says, I don't know which one it is, he says, I just miss him so much. You know, I've never met Jesus face to face. But the more I walk with him, like the more I miss him. The more I want to see him. And that's true for you if you follow him into the already, not yet. But second and more relevant to the context you will long for his return because you'll want him to bring justice and make the wrong things right listen and that's not just a reference to the injustice of persecution it's things like seeing societies falling short that should disturb us it's it's things like watching nature do harm One end of Kentucky gets blasted and torn to bits by a tornado. And then the other one gets flooded, pushed away with all this crazy water. Like we look at that and we're like, man, this is not the way it should be. And we see, we experience relationships getting sideways. We experience bodies breaking down, others that we love and our own. You could fill in the blank as to the things that would make you say, this is not the way things should be. And listen, having a heart of flesh that's soft and tender instead of a heart of stone means that this world is going to be unto your heart like a punching bag. You know that punching bag that hangs down and you kind of do this number on it? Remember Rocky? If you live with a wholehearted Christian life, leading forward with your heart, it's going to be like that punching bag, boom, 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 as this world beats the tar out of it, okay? And the longer you follow Jesus, the more that you're going to find yourself saying three words with the Apostle John. Come, Lord Jesus. Say it with me. Come, Lord Jesus. These are good words to say. These are words that you'll say more and more the longer you follow him. This world is not the way it should be. That doesn't mean we rage against it. It means we rage against it by saying, come Lord Jesus, come, set this right, make all things new. But remember the meat grinder. Just because you long for it and cry out for it doesn't mean you can usher it in or manufacture it. It's not on your timetable. But people will try to make it that way. Listen to verse 23. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. Y'all know these these things where people say, I know when Jesus is coming back, it's on this day and this time, everybody get ready. No, no, no. Jesus says, no, 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 like ain't like that. That's explicitly people saying, "Look here, look there." But then there's the people who implicitly say it. Right? They're not exactly saying Jesus is coming back at this time, but they're kind of saying, "Unless you're a part of this thing over here, then you ain't a part of Jesus." It's like, okay, you don't go out and follow them. <laughs> okay, who did Jesus get out here? For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. So look at the contrast here between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. In the first coming, Jesus said, the kingdom is not coming in ways that can be observed, like you're not going to see glorious signs in the heavens. You're going to see me walking around, talking among you in a normal body, taking on the normal limitations of humanity, eating, sleeping, aging, dying. But in the second coming you will be able to see glorious signs in the heaven. In fact, like lightning flashes and lights up the whole night sky. You've seen that, right? It's like, and everything is like daylight for a second there. Everyone without question will immediately see Jesus and know it's the end upon his second coming. That's what he's saying here. And as the Apostle John puts it, Behold, look, y'all. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Mm. And so if you're listening right now as I speak to the disciples of Jesus, and you have not given your crown to him, know this, that when he comes, there will be no more opportunity. You will bow, you will, but not rejoicing, wailing. Now is your chance. Now is the day of salvation. Now back to the disciples in the room. See that there is another contrast that Jesus makes between his first coming and second coming. Verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Young disciples, there are two characters from the Old Testament that you want to mark down here. Noah is the first one. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. There's the second person. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So in his first coming, Jesus inaugurates the kingdom without pouring out judgment on people. Like most people know John 3.16. Y'all know John 3.16? You ever done that race where, you know, see who can say it the fast? Forgot a little literally going to who I believe in and perish. All right, everybody knows John 3.16. Boom. Y'all know verse 17? It's good too. It goes like this. For God did not send his son into the world To condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Good words. But if you take that alone, pull it out of scripture, say that's going to be my one verse. Then it has the power to foster a view of Jesus that is all heartwarming. right. He's kind and compassionate. He's humanitarian and nonviolent. He's a, he's a tragic hero who gives his life for the cause of love. And I see people who wrestle with the injustices of our world going in one or two polarized directions. And one of them is to say, Jesus is all heartwarming. He's all about justice. I'm going to ignore certain parts of the scriptures that make me uncomfortable. I'm just going to be all about his love, all about his justice. So that's dangerous, man. You're, you're, pull, you're just focusing on one part. Because in his second coming, look at what He says. It will be like the days of Noah when everyone in rebellion against God was suddenly drowned in judgment. Or like Lot, when everyone who rejected God's messengers were suddenly incinerated in judgment. And so to give Jesus your crown is to accept what he says about himself without omission, even when it's uncomfortable. Or hard to understand. Y'all know it's okay to say there are some things about Jesus that make me uncomfortable. It's okay to say that around here. But we don't want to reject it. We want to wrestle together in order to receive it all that he says about himself. And so, again, for those who have not given their crown to King Jesus, heed this warning today. When he comes, there will be no more opportunity. And the verdict will be rendered not because you were an especially bad sinner compared to Christians. Like, listen, he's talking about Noah and Lot. They weren't the most exemplary guys. The difference will be that when God's messengers came to warn people, they listened, and you didn't. You were not too sinful. You were too busy eating and drinking. Buying and selling, planting and building. Y'all don't be too busy today. For King Jesus, now is your chance. Now is the day of salvation. But there is a warning here for those who would call themselves disciples. Look at verse 31. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house, not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, not turned back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to, and there's going to be several blanks here, young disciples, that you will want to fill in. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Now, if you live through the 90s, then this is what is probably flashing before your eyes right now. (laughs) Thank you, Kirk Cameron. Y'all remember the Left Behind series? All right. Sixteen best-selling novels on the end times that pretty much pivot on this image of Jesus returning to rapture Christians and everyone else being left behind in an apocalyptic world. But I think, and I'm not down in all, you know, he's not, God's used these novels in people's lives. I'm not, I'm not throwing them out. But I do think that Jesus is getting at more in these verses than a formula for how the end times will happen or how to have your fire insurance, so to speak, on that day. Especially if that insurance means being a premillennial dispensationalist American evangelical. And if you don't know what any of those words mean, good for you. Don't learn them. Ah. What he's talking about is the opposing decisive fates of people at Jesus' second coming. Physical proximity and relational association to Christians will not matter. You can say, but I'm a good person, Jesus. My parents are Christians. I go to church. I feel warm hearted toward Jesus. But now I believe that I see you breaking across the sky. None of that's going to matter. What will matter is, has your life been preserved for yourself or has it been given over to King Jesus? Listen, when you stop saying to God those three important words, come Lord Jesus, then he starts saying three important words to you. Remember Lot's wife. Y'all know the story of Lot's wife? In Genesis 19, when the Lord was about to destroy Sodom, Lot, who was a righteous man in the eyes of God and was about to be rescued, he lingered. He couldn't pull himself away from this city. And eventually, angels literally grab hold of him and his wife and his daughters, and they carry them outside the city and set them on their way and tell them, flee and do not stop and don't even look back. And then this is what we read in Genesis 19, 26. But Lot's wife, behind him, did look back. And she became a pillar of salt. Anybody ever wonder, like, why a pillar of salt? Like, what's up with that? You know, why wasn't she just like, gone? It's like a pillar of salt. You get some and like put it on your your french fries. I didn't plan to say that one. That was bad. It just came out of nowhere. I take it back. Sorry about that. (laughs) I was wrong. (laughs) Perhaps in order to... Here's why I think a pillar of salt, okay? Not what I said, but here's, here's why I think. Perhaps it was in order to rise up from the Word of God, preserved as a warning to us. Don't come so close to the good life only to not see it fully realized. Let me give you an example. When I was a teenager and I was growing up in church, hearing gospel preaching, I was believing what I was being taught about Jesus. I was convinced even that he was going to return and soon. But I literally remember thinking things like this. I really hope he doesn't come back before I get to have sex. I really hope he doesn't come back before I get to be in the military. I really hope he doesn't come back before I get to make a name for myself. So think about this with me. If in that day, Jesus did return, in the instant that he broke like lightning across the sky, what would have been my reaction? Rejoicing? Or wailing. Would my mind have gone to what I was about to receive from him? Or what I was about to miss out on because of him? That's how close I could have come to the good life. Only to not see it fully realized. You with me? And that's what Jesus is getting at when he says. That in that day. Let the one who is on the housetop not come down to take his goods. You see, that person has sought to preserve his life. He's got something that he wants more than King Jesus. And it's not that material possessions or sex or fame or success are inherently evil things. It's that that day is going to instantly reveal their position in our hearts. And there will be no hiding or reversing it. Which is why when the disciples ask him, in verse 37, Where, Lord? Where's this going to go down, Lord? This sounds real scary. I don't want to be around there. He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Just like you know exactly where something dead is because of vultures, in that day, you'll know exactly who the spiritually dead are because of judgment. Wherever there is the spiritually dead, there will be the judgment. And so why would you hide now what will be revealed on that day? For you who would call yourselves disciples, like why would you not examine yourself in order to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Why would you not let the already not yet do its meat grinding work in your life and redeem every desire to be for the glory of Jesus? I remember an older man saying to me recently, just enjoy The season of life that you're in, because when you get my age, things change. And I think, though we despise aging in our culture, it is by design meant to be a meat grinder that is life, is stripped away from you. Your physical abilities, your mental abilities, your relationships, and you see friends pass away, loved ones pass away. In God's hands, it's preparing you for a greater crown of glory if you give yourself to it, rather than hardening your heart against. And listen, church, I say this to you today because of the assurance that you can count on from God's word. Be prepared. The king is coming again. He is. So in conclusion today, let me ask you, If today was the day of his return, in the instant that he broke like lightning across the sky, what would be your reaction? I told you mine. Would you rejoice? Or would you wail? Or in this moment right now, are you just kind of like, man, can we get on with this? would your mind go to what you're about to receive from him or to what you're about to miss out on because of him? Fill in this blank. I'll give you a second. I really hope he doesn't come back before I get what? Something? Get to do something? How you fill that in? What comes up? Is it some evil thing that you're holding on to? Some sinful thing that maybe is holding on to you? Perhaps it could even be some good thing. Family? Lord, please don't come back today. I want to see my children grow up. Jesus says, if you love your family more than me, you're not worthy of me. If you don't want me to come back because you want your family more, I understand that you love them, but that's not rightly ordered. I'll redeem your love for your family so that you love them even more than you do right now if you'll hand your crown over to me. What about this? You say, Lord, I don't don't want you to come back because I want to be a missionary and I want to go participate in what God is doing overseas. Well, listen, Jesus said the Pharisees crossed over land and sea to make a single convert And those converts became twice the sons of hell that the Pharisees were. It's a good thing to want to go be a missionary. But if you think, man, I just don't come back yet so I can do that, it's not rightly ordered. Friends, we can take any good thing and make it swirl with green flatulent gas. Our default mindset is not toward the true king and his Kingdom but toward the ones of our own making, even after we follow Jesus. Man, that stinks. Like, I get up here and say things, and I just feel the room. Everybody's like, boom. And I was like, y'all know how I felt all week if you saw me walking around like this. You knew why as I was wrestling with this passage. So let me bring life to you by preaching some sensational news. A greater pillar rises up from the word of God preserved for you today. There is one precious verse that we skipped over in Jesus' teaching today. Some of y'all caught it and you're like, he's not being expositional. He skipped a verse. Well, let me come back to it. I've been saving it for you. It stands as the sure hope for anyone who realizes that they're in the end times already between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. In verse 25 we read, Jesus says, this is all coming at you, but first he must suffer many things. He, the son of man, Jesus, I must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. You see, before Jesus was to ever employ the power of judging the whole world and pouring out the wrath of God, he first emptied himself of power and received the wrath of God poured out on him. Y'all, the flood of Noah and the fire of Sodom were nothing Compared to the total devastation that was laid upon him as the punishment for our sins. That means that on the cross, Jesus became the epitome of the already not, the epitome of being left behind. Think of him hanging up there, cold and dead, rejected, hopeless, dead meat. And he did this all the while as the true king who already had the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Like his already not yet was far worse than any already not yet that you could ever endure. You can taste a little bit of the already not yet because he went through the full brunt of it. I'm already the king, but I lay it all down and die because I do it in hope. Of something. What was that hope? That he would rise up to new life. You see, this is why he did it, why he endured it, so that we could too. You see, when he rises from the dead, only then does he take fully his power back up. Why? Because in all things, he's taken your place. Not just for your sins. But for your inability to endure the already not yet in between the two parts of this kingdom. You lay your crown before him, and what do you take up? His power. His power over sin and death. How about this? This will be more relevant to you today, probably, than his power over sin and death, because you're not thinking too much about your death, it's out there. But how about His power over your desire? Because we all got them right here, right now. That is the second most important thing to know about the kingdom of God today. The consummation of the kingdom of God is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Do you know what I mean by consummation? Let me just put it in two words that will be appropriate in this setting wedding night. That's what consummation means. And so Jesus has the power to make him your deepest desire, to long for that moment more than anything when I see him face to face. It consummates everything in my life for all of eternity. He has the power to do that, to redeem all other desires, to be positioned rightly, redeemed, set free. So that when he breaks the sky like lightning, you'll be prepared. He has that power. He's willing to give it today. Would you take it? And if you would be willing to take it, whether it's for the first time or you're taking it up again, three quick applications. One, in the already not yet church, continue to bear the preaching of the word of God without omission. I don't know if you understand this, but sitting under preaching is a really, really hard thing to do. You're like, yeah, we know that, Brad. (laughs) I try to make it palatable for you, but if I'm preaching it faithfully, every single Sunday, it's gonna come down on you. Boom! But it's gonna pick you back up. It's gonna challenge you, Christian. And so continue to give yourself to that disciplined work of bearing the preaching of the word of God without omission. All that he says about himself. We wrestle with it to make it our own. Second, continue to pursue intentional gospel relationships. If you're going to survive the already not yet, that, that means that you are going to need others around you who help you to fight against a hardened heart. Because as you live in a world and you come more awakened to its injustices, your heart is threatened to be hardened and to flee from relationships. As you see how messy the church is and it hurts you, you're gonna be tempted to flee from it all. Don't do that. Pursue intentional God. Press in so that your heart can remain a heart of flesh instead of one of stone. Third, continue to pray, come Lord Jesus. I really believe that it's a healthy picture in the Christian life, not for you to pray less, come Lord Jesus, but for actually to pray more. The longer you live, the further you get, the more close you get to death. You're crying out, come, Lord Jesus, set this right. And you know what? That's what you're crying when you come to this table. Every week when you come to this table, you may not say it with your mouth, but in the symbolism of you walking forward and partaking of this table, you're crying out, come, Lord Jesus this is what we long for. This is what we're waiting for. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. He gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took a cup of wine and after blessing it, he said, this marks the new covenant and the shedding of my blood. You see how he did that there? With the bread, he's having you look back. Remember, with the cup, he's saying, hey, there's a new covenant that has come, the shedding of my blood. And you put these two things together, here's what happens. You're announcing the Lord's death until he returns. What is that? Come, Lord Jesus. It's is what we're living for. Make me ready for it. Our invitation here at Antioch, if you're a baptized believer, whether or not you're a member of this church, is to come forward to break off a piece of bread, to dip it in the juice, to take it, you may need a little bit of extra time, and that's okay. It'll be still sitting up here for you, even if you've got to wait till after the service. Respond to whatever Jesus is doing in your heart. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, then instead of taking this symbol, we'd encourage you to take the real thing, Jesus himself. He's made himself available to you. All you got to do is put your faith in him. Give him your crown. Say, so your life, not mine. It's all yours, Jesus, because of what you did for me. There's going to be pastors and people in the back to pray with anyone who has any need. Come back and let us pray for you. Whatever is going on in your life. Don't be ashamed. People aren't going to judge you. Let us pray for you. Call on the Lord together. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you this morning and we thank you so much for the good news that your word brings us. Lord, we know in order for us to hear the good news, we first must hear the bad news. And it hurts. Lord, your word cuts deep, and yet it's a good cut that we need because we have come to see the truth. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you came, you lived and fulfilled all that you would demand of us so that we, by faith, through your grace, could could receive it freely and follow you. And Lord, in this moment, as Those who have followed you, come forward with tender hearts and not hardened ones. Would you renew them? And may they realize and maybe even speak with their lips as they come. Come, Lord Jesus. That's my cry this morning and right now, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. This is sweet, this is good, but it's just a taste. It makes us want more. Come, Lord Jesus. And in this moment, we ask that you would come in the presence of your spirit. And do whatever it is that you want to do. Unto your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.